Welcome to Renewing Your Mind with the Word of God podcast, an in-depth study of the Word of God. The program's name is from Romans 12, 2, which says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Welcome back to Renewing Your Mind with the Word of God podcast, where we take a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the Word of God, particularly out of the New Testament. We are still in the book of John. We're going to start a new chapter, chapter 9. In our last episode, we finished chapter 8, so we're going to start this new chapter in chapter 9. And if you have not already done so, I would encourage you to open up your Bible or your Bible app and go with me to the book of John chapter nine. And before we get started on chapter nine, a brief recap of where we left off, as you may recall from our last episodes. And if you have not listened to those last episodes, you can always find them on our website at RenewYourMindMinistries.org or anywhere you can listen to a podcast, they should be be there. When we in our last episode we finished chapter 8 and Jesus had been teaching in the temple court during the feast of tabernacles. He was being challenged by the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders during that time of Israel. Jesus had told them that they were not sons of Abraham's as they claimed spiritually. But in fact, they were the sons of the devil because they are they were liars like the devils. They were murderers like the devil because they were plotting to kill Jesus, our Lord and Savior, because he was not following their man-made rules, because he was stealing in their opinion, their thunder, their glory. And they couldn't have that. And so they they were making these plots to kill him. And ultimately, they're going to have him killed. But we hadn't got there yet. And so in our last episode, we talked about Jesus just told them that he was God. And because of that, they tried to stone him. But chapter eight ends with Jesus escaping from that stoning. And then chapter nine picks it up where he's we don't know the time frame of that. But after escaping, he runs across this man who was blind all his life. And Jesus is going to heal that man. Just like he healed many of us who have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. Because that's really a metaphor of, I was once blind, but now I can see. That's symbolic of salvation. And we're going to see that play out in this chapter. I plan on going through, I think, verses either verse 25 or 26. I'm not sure how far we're going to go. I try to keep these episodes short because I know we have a short attention span, myself included. So I don't like or don't want to have very long episodes. But if it takes it that long, then it takes it that long. So what we're going to do in our traditional sense, we're going to start at verse one. We're going to read through verse 25 or 26 and then see how far we get on breaking down the verses. So if you will, if you have not already done so, let's go to John chapter nine and let's start with verse number one, which says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciple asked him, 
Rabbi, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse number three. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eye. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. Verse number eight. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Verse number 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him now how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Verse number 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you said was born blind? How is that now he can see? Verse 20. We know he's our son, the parents answered. We know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Verse number 23. That was why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man as a sinner. Verse number 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, You're great. You're righteous. You're holy. You're powerful. You're true. You're God. And we thank you. We praise you and we worship you and we love you. We appreciate you. We thank you for sending your only begotten son, Jesus, to die for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for obeying the Father. 
even to the point of death, allowing your holy, perfect, godly blood to be spilled for our sins. Thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for sending back the Holy Spirit to live in us, to guide us, to comfort us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, we ask that you open up our minds, our hearts, and our ears to better receive and understand your word that it may accomplish those things that you have set forth, set forth for it, to it to accomplish in our lives. We thank you for your word. We thank you for an opportunity to study it. In your son's holy name, we thank you and give praise and honor. Amen. All right, now let's go back to verse number one, which says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And as he went along, this is a continuation from Chapter 8, as he was leaving at some point after he had escaped the stoning from the Pharisees for claiming to be God, he runs across this blind man who had been blind from birth, meaning that he had never had seen anything. So the timing of this event is not necessarily easy to determine. Scripture was originally written without, as I mentioned before, chapters and verses. verses. The last mention was Jesus escaping uh, being a murdered by these Pharisees, these religious leaders. This could mean that he saw this man immediately after leaving that scene. Then again, the ancient writers were far more concerned with general facts and themes rather than these minor details. So we don't know the time period in which Jesus encountered with this particular man. This man would be the subject of Jesus's sixth miraculous sign as recorded in the gospel of John. And again, all these miracles that Jesus was performing was to confirm to the people that he was God. Many people were coming and had come before Jesus and have come since Jesus claiming to be the Messiah. But none of these individuals did or could be able to perform the things that we're seeing Jesus do because they were not God. And so Jesus was just not he was helping man and specifically these individuals that was the recipient of his these miracles but it was to lay a foundation and a make a a historical record that he was able to do these things and he did these things because he's God he was the messiah and so this is the sixth sign or miracle that John recorded that Jesus performed that confirmed that he was God the important detail is that the man is blind, a condition often used in scripture as a metaphor for those who lack saving faith in God or those who reject God, making them incapable of seeing the truth. Because if you're blind to the truth, you can't see it. You don't understand it. We also see here Jesus healing this man blind who was blind and giving him his sight. To fulfill the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would cure blindness. See Isaiah chapter 29 verse 18. Chapter 35 verse 5 and chapter 42 verse 7. Those Old Testament. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would cure blindness. He would heal men that were blind. And Jesus did that fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy. And again as serving as proof of his identity as the Messiah. Moving on to verse number two of John chapter nine, his disciple asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
during this time in this culture, over 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel, sickness and suffering was often seen as punishment for sin. In other words, those who suffered most had deserved it or had it coming. At least someone in their family did. The fact that this man was born blind then leaves the disciples with only two options. Either the man somehow sinned before his birth or he's being punished for something his parents did. And we see here in the next verse that Jesus will directly counter this mistake in their thinking during that time. So in other words, when in that time among the Jews, when they saw someone suffering with some kind of ailment, they thought that was a result automatically of some kind of sin in their life. And Jesus is going to tell them, no, it's not about the sin. And also, if they had remembered Job, Job went through a lot of stuff, but it was not because of some major sin in his life. But that was the prevailing thought in the culture during that time. And also the opposite. That if it seemed like you were prospering, you were rich, that God was rewarding you for good in your life, which is also a myth. That's not necessarily the case. All right, moving on to verse number three. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. This does not mean that Jesus was saying these people were sinless because we're all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. But rather, he's severing the supposed link between the conduct and this specific affliction. Jesus's answers answer clearly and definitively refute these ideas of because this man had to be born blind. It's something he did which what he would have done. What could he have done? He was born blind. Or most likely they was thinking, oh, it's something since he was born blind, it's something his parents must have done. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not the case. In a broad sense, it's true that all human beings suffering is the result of sin. All this chaos is going in the, in the world today. All of it ultimately result from Adam sinning, his disobedience from God that has filtered through the generations of mankind. Adam's disobedience brought death and destruction to the entire human race. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. And it's also true that most of the pain we experience in our life is caused by sin of people, either ourselves or others. Violence, starvation, crime, broken homes. All of these are the effects of the consequences of sin. But Jesus is making the point here, not all suffering is punishment for sin, though. This man in particular did not experience blindness as any sort of judgment on sin, either his or someone else's. Now, this verse uses the phrase as to the works of God might be displayed in him. It could mean that Jesus did not come to condemn men for their fallen conditions, because in fact, we're already condemned. Because of Adam's sin and disobedience from God, sin nature has flowed in all of us. So from birth, even before you do anything, which all of us are going to do some act of rebellion against God, we're already condemned. 
So he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. He came to offer his life for us. That's why he came. So instead, Jesus said he came to set man free by the power of God. So that's one interpretation of that part of the verse that says works of God may be displayed in him. That Jesus may be able to set this man free by his power, by the power of God. Or another interpretation, which is usually the classic interpretation of this verse, that this man was born blind specifically so Jesus could perform this miracle. Thus confirming what was written in Exodus chapter four, four, verse 11, which says, Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or make them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? So there are some interpretations that Jesus is fulfilling this this prophecy. And that this man was born blind specifically so Jesus could perform this miracle and be recorded and read throughout history of proving and fulfilling the prophecy that he was the Messiah. Because the Lord healed the blind, Jesus. So that's one interpretation. All right, moving on to verse number four. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Here, Jesus used the metaphors which relate uses a metaphor which relates to his earthly ministry and an era without electricity. Nighttime was by necessity a time where where less work could be done because you got to understand. I keep saying this because oftentimes and I'm guilty of this myself. Anything I'm talking about, I'm out. I'm in the group, too. I'm guilty as well. No exclusion to me. It's easy to think about. Times, places and concepts using our modern and putting them in the context in which we live. At least in the United States, we have lights everywhere, lights on the highway, lights on our houses. There's the darkness is penetrated by light doing. And this is much of the world, just not the United States, much of the developed world. But during that time, they didn't have the electricity. They didn't have they had no concept of electricity. They had candles, but those candles couldn't doesn't. Didn't uh, don't compare to the lights that we have now. So naturally, if you can't see, you can't do as much work. We can do everything now. We build highways at night because what lights we do work at night because of the lights. So Jesus is using this metaphor that when it's nighttime, less work can be done. The day was the most effective time to do work during that time because of the sun. You had light. You could do work. You could see. But it was a limited time. So he's making a comparison that. They refer to the time left for him to serve God will God's will on this earth. Night referred to the rapidly approaching time when Jesus will die, ending his earthly ministry. In this verse, Jesus also used the term we. That use of the term we is very important. Jesus know he has a limited amount of time to do his work. In his earthly ministry, because he know ultimately he's going to have to go to that cross. He's going to have to die. He's going to be resurrected and eventually ascend to heaven from which he came. Likewise, as we as Christians, believers 
have only the days of our earthly lives to accomplish the work of God, the work God has assigned us in our time. So when Jesus says in this verse that we must do the works of him who sent me, instead of saying I must do the work, he said we. Who is the we? We Christian believers. So Jesus places an obligation on us to be responsible for our time by saying we must do so, meaning that all who serve God must do so in the time that we have on this earth. Again, he didn't say I must do his work. He said we must do the work. He wasn't just talking to the disciples. He's talking to all believers that we have work to do. And that work is to tell others about him. That he came, he lived, he was perfect, he died for our sins, he was raised from the dead, and he ultimately returned to heaven. Now all these he's are Jesus. That's our work. That all believers have been commissioned to do. All right, moving on to verse number five. As long as I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. In chapter eight, Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. John 8, verse 12, specifically. That comment was in a slightly different context than this reference. There, Jesus implied his role in salvation. Here, Jesus is speaking of light in a more general sense, which explains his use of the phrase, as long as I'm in the world. In the prior verse, Jesus made careful use of the word we and describing those who who needed to work while they had the opportunity. He pointed out that he, like any other man, had a limited limited earthly life with which to follow God's will. This reference to light describes the way Christ will be the bearer of the gospel up into his death and resurrection. At that point, his apostles, his disciples, will become the light's bringing truth to the world because they would ultimately evangelize the world to over 2000 years later. The gospel is still spreading throughout this earth. Millions, if not billions have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, believing and accepting him as their Lord and savior, starting with those men, those 12 disciples carrying on the work that we, that they carried on and that the men and women since then have carried on. Moving on to verse number six. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud, some translations say clay, with the saliva and put it on the man's eye. As I mentioned before, blindness is often used in the scriptures as an analogy for those who reject God, making them incapable of seeing the truth. The use of the muddy clay hints at man's origin as a being formed out, formed by God out of the dust Of the earth. Man is nothing but lowly clay that is animated by the divine, divine breath of God. He took us from the dust, the clay, and he blew into us his spirit, and that clay became alive. The clay also symbolizes Jesus' humanity. He was both man and God at the same time. And the moisture of his lips, the life that animated it. Moving on to verse number seven of John chapter nine. Go, he told him, 
Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Jesus, again, is performing his six of his seven miracles that John is going to record in this gospel. Jesus has given eyesight to a man who was born blind. A powerful metaphor for how God grants faith and belief to those to those who would otherwise never have it. Verse number eight, his neighbors, that's the heel man neighbors, and those who had formerly seen him begging ask, isn't this the man who, was, who used to sit and beg? This man's long life blindness was common knowledge. Removing, removing any possibility of him, this being a trick, a scam. The question raised by this man's identity are not all expression of doubt. They're mostly declarations of surprise, a surprise that he can see. Because they knew he was blind from birth. They knew this man. That's just like if you knew somebody that had been blind all their life and all of a sudden could see, you'd be surprised. You'd be shocked. Like, what happened? And that's what they're expressing here, some of them. As we're going to see, some of them are expressing doubt. Because you always have the doubters in the crowd. And all of us at some point were doubters in our life. So don't come down too hard on these people because these people, even the Pharisees, all of us are them. All of us has fallen and come short of the glory. We bashed the Pharisees. Probably was, if we were back during that time, we'd probably have been right in with them. We're no better than them. Sinners saved by grace by Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Hearing the gospel of that, the Holy Spirit changing our heart of stone to a heart of flesh to better confess our newfound belief in Jesus. But short of that, we're just like these people that we read. It's easy for us to take, think, and be like we'd have been in the Indian crowd. We'd have been following Jesus. Would we? Just a thought. Verse number nine. Some claim that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. As I said, others in the crowd prefer to believe that that was a close lookalike. Can you believe that? They knew this man. They didn't want to believe the miracle. Oh, that's just, that ain't, that ain't Sam. They just looked like him. In other words, they rejected the man's own claim, the witnesses of others, choosing instead to believe that this was some kind of scam, some kind of trick. This is a common human response. What we believe first is determined by what we want to believe. But the man who was healed insisted it was him. Verse number 10. And we're going to read verse number 10, 11, and 12 um, together for continuity and context. Verse number 10. How then were your eyes open, they asked. Verse 11. He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. So we see in verse number 10. They're asking where we knew you was blind from 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 birth. How are you able to see? And the man answered him. When he was pressed about what happened, he told him the man named Jesus. He put mud on my eye and I told me to go wash and I did it. Now I can see. Then they asked him, where is he? And the man answered, I don't know. Then, as usual, here come the Pharisees. Verse number 13. They brought 
to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. And we're going to continue to read verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Moving on to verse 15. So the Pharisees asked again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I wash and I see. You always have those who want to cause trouble in the crowd. It was known, I'm pretty sure it was known that these Pharisees were after Jesus. Knowing this, because you always have some troublemakers in a the group, they took this man who had been healed by Jesus and he had mentioned Jesus. They took him to the Pharisees. And as I if we talked about before, the Pharisees were this extremely religious sect that in addition to the laws of Moses, the laws that God had truly given to the people of Israel over the years, the decades, the century that this class, the Pharisees, the ruling religious class of men, because God and in the usual sense of man, God and his word and his laws are not enough. They added on to it. And these men knew this transaction, this healing had taken place on the Sabbath. And they knew that the Pharisees would be interested in that. Because they knew that the Pharisees took the Sabbath that they made up. Don't do certain things on the Sabbath that they made up, not came from God, that they made up seriously. So they took this man to them. Not only was this miracle done on the Sabbath, as this verse indicated, it involves something that the Pharisees considered taboo. Jesus was described as making clay from mud and saliva. According to the traditional Pharisees law, this was a form of work explicitly forbidden. The man told them what happened, but he admitted telling them that Jesus used saliva in making the clay. And he also admitted where Jesus told him to go, because even though this man was blind, if he was Jewish, he knew what these laws were. He knew something in smell right here. He knew that Jesus had broken the Sabbath and he may have broken the Sabbath, too, by going and bathing and washing in Siloam. So he, he when they took him to the man who had been healed to the Pharisees, he smelled something wasn't right. He suspected something wasn't quite right. So we see him admitting some things about what Jesus did. Let's move on to verse number six, 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, talking about Jesus. So he does not, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others ask, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Jesus had broken a law once again. We talked about this early in, in in this in this book in John where Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Make no mistake. Everything Jesus did on this earth was intentional. It was not by happenstance. It was not by luck or chance. Jesus intentionally healed this man on the Sabbath. And he knew that this what they were doing is going to come of that. He's trying to show an example. He is doing this on purpose. It's not now, it's not, it was not by happenstance that Jesus happened to run this man on the Sabbath and he healed him on the Sabbath. He did it on purpose like the first time he did it. He did it on purpose because he knew what these Pharisees was about. And now that he's broken their law again, 
of doing something on the Sabbath. Now they really mad. But this verse shows us there's a dilemma here because they were saying this man is not from God because he didn't keep their law. Their law. They were more interested. And think about this. The same thing that happened the first time. This man had been born blind and Jesus had healed him. Instead of being happy for this man, they want to know why are you doing this good work on the Sabbath? Don't you know we declared this holy and you can't do certain things? That's where their mindset was. We see it here. Just like we saw it earlier, we see it here. They're more concerned about Jesus breaking one of their man-made laws than this man receiving his sight. He'd been blind all his life. But we also see in this verse the dilemma. Because someone asks, well, how, if he is a sinner, how can he perform these signs? Because they knew the truth that a sinner could not perform those miracles. And these were the learned men. They knew they couldn't, but they were so blinded by their own motives to kill Jesus. They were willing to, to throw everything to the side. They only wanted what they wanted. That was to get Jesus out of the way. They didn't care about this man, Jesus helping people. They didn't care about the fact that he was fulfilling the prophecies that they so-called should have known and have studied because these were the educated people. They didn't care about no one could be doing these things and that they were sent like Nicodemus said, unless they were sent by God. But they didn't care about all that. They had to accomplish their agenda. Jesus's harshest critics and greatest resistance came from the very people who ought to have known better. All right, moving on to verse number 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. At this point, the interrogation to continue to the Pharisees continued to press the man who had been healed for answers. He didn't pretend to know anything other than what actually happened. I was blind and now I will see this man. Jesus came, put some stuff on my eye. I told me to watch. I went and now I can see. He knew it was supernatural. And so when they asked him who he was, he was thinking of the highest title he could think of. He was a prophet. No one else could have done that. No one else did that. He did it for me, and now I can see. I couldn't see you before. Now I can. He was a prophet. But what happened next proved how hard-headed and stubborn these religious critics could be. Verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. His word wasn't good enough. We got to talk to the parents because we just can't believe this. Even though I'm sure some of these very people probably have witnessed these miracles themselves. But when man is, unless Jesus come in their life, is so hard. No matter what happens before their very eyes, they don't want to believe and not going to believe. We've seen this when in our other podcast, the God Revelation podcast. And we're talking about all the stuff that's going to happen before. And we're talking about all the things that's going to be happening that had never happened before. Making preparation for the return of Jesus to this earth. As king. And all these things are going to be going on. You would think during that time that these people would repent, acknowledge Jesus. But the word says that most of them are going to harden their hearts. They're going to blaspheme him even more. They're going to hate him even more. But that's how human beings are. And so we're seeing an early example of this, even though the man is 
His self is giving testimony. All the witnesses, they knew this man was blind, but they didn't want to believe him. They don't, so let's call the parents in. Verse number 19. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? See, the way these Pharisees phrase the questions to the blind man's or the formerly blind man's parents show their prejudice. Rather than simply asking, is this your is this really your son? They suggest that the parents themselves may be lying. The healed man referred to as the one who you say was born blind. That's what they say to the parents. You say he was born blind. This hidden suggestion is that perhaps the man was not really blind or not always blind, giving these men further opportunity to discredit Jesus. That's what they're trying to do. Well, you say he was blind, but was it really blind? You just lying. Because we don't want to believe. This disrespect also include intimidation. They were intim- trying to intimidate the man who was formerly blind and his parents, as we're going to see in further verses. These same religious leaders who had already declared that those who supported Jesus would be excommunicated. And the formerly blind man's parents answer would show that they were fearful of these Jewish leaders. And they didn't want any part of that controversy. Verse number 20. We know. He's our son. The parents answered. And we know he was born blind. The parents response is timid and short for a reason. Because we're going to see in verse number 22 that the religious leaders had already put out there. You can fool with Jesus if you want to. We're going to kick you out of the synagogue. And that meant something. And the reason why that meant something is because unlike now, Nobody cares they get kicked out of church. You just go to another church or you start your own church. But during that time, in that context, their culture was different. It centered around the synagogue. It centered around their religion. And if you were kicked out of the synagogue, that didn't mean you just didn't go to church anymore. You lost your family. You lost your job. You was ostracized. You had no social life because everything was tied. And people were not, if you got kicked out of the synagogue, People would not deal with you because they could get kicked out. So that was serious. And the man knew that and his parents knew that. So that's why they're trying to tap tiptoe around what they're asking, because they knew that was their son. They knew he was he was blind and he was healed. Now, they may not have been there for the healing, but their son had already told him what had happened. and They had no reason to believe it. And the, pr- the proof was in the pudding. He could see. But because of the threat of being ostracized, being kicked out, which meaning that you could lose your job, you could lose your family, you'll be out on an island on yourself. They're tiptoeing around being bold about what Jesus did. All right, moving on to verse number 21. But how can, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. The healed man's parents are being extremely careful, as I said before, not to cross that line. The parents are also careful to point out that the man in question, he's a legal adult. Ask him. He's capable of answering these questions for himself. There's no reason to inquire of us. Don't drag us into this. We just know he was he was blind. He's our son. He was blind from birth because we know because we was there. We've been his parents all his life. And now he can see. That's all we know. Verse number 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And some 
translations say the Jews, but usually when they're talking about the Jews, they're not talking about all Jewish people. They're talking about specifically these Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This means, as I told you before, they'd be cut off from their family, social ties, employment, literally everything, because everything was based around that synagogue, that religious center. And if you were not a part of that, you had nothing. You could be nothing. Verse number 23. That was why his parents said he's of age and ask. And so this verse is just telling us why they're being timid today, saying, hey, don't drag us in there. Ask him. He's of age because they don't want to cross these people because they know what the consequences could be. Verse number 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. This command, give glory to God, is where is a way of demanding the tr- a person to speak the truth. So they were really trying to t- say to the man, speak to tell us the truth, man. What really happened? He's telling them, but they don't want to hear it. The religious leaders further prove their prejudice by stating, we know, we know Jesus is a sinner. They didn't know such thing because he was not a sinner. They are the sinners. We are the sinners. But this echoes their initial rejection of the miracle. They refused to accept it because they had already decided that Jesus didn't agree with their traditions, doing these things on the Sabbath, Sabbath, still in their glory. And so they already knew it. It's, hey, if he ain't part of our clique, I don't care what he say. He's a sinner. He's doing this stuff by the devil. Uh, even though we can see it, it ain't none of this stuff true. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. It, this is what's going on. By hinting that the man is lying, they claim to know that Jesus is false. These Pharisees are trying to intimidate him because you got to think these men of stature. Now this is a high society. This man was a formerly was a beggar blind. He had to beg for a living. He couldn't work. So he had to beg. So they're trying to press on him. We, 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 the upper class, we, we, the big dogs. We know this guy's a sinner. We know. So what you saying? We lying. Basically, but their efforts backfired. Because this man knew one thing. He was blind and now he could see. And it was because of Jesus. And we see it in verse number 25. He replied, that's the man who had been healed. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I can see. And in my translation has an exclamation point. Meaning he probably shouted that. Because think about that. I think we often overlook the reality of This man had been blind all his life and now he can see the things that people had who were who had that sight from birth had taken advantage of and taken granted hadn't even thought about. And now he's seen that and like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I do know this for sure. I was blind and now I can see. And his response was true. And it's also an excellent summary of saving faith. When we all were blinded. But because of Jesus. We can see. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We'll pick it up in from here in our next episode. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, I'm just so excited about studying your word. Just. Thank you that we were all blind. Those who accepted you. Now we can see. Thank you for that. That could only happen by the power. That lies in your son, death, burial and resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for that. 
Thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Until next time, may God bless you. We pray that this Bible study has blessed you. If you have a prayer request, you can email it to renewyourmindm at gmail.com or mail it to P.O. Box 721143, Jackson, Mississippi, 39272. Remember, you can hear current and past episodes at any time on our website of renewyourmindministries.org or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Alexa, Audible, and Google Podcasts. We encourage you to tell others about the program and share our website of renewyourmindministries.org. Jesus says in Mark 16, 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. By telling others about the program, you are doing your part to spread the gospel into all the world about our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Until next time, this has been Renewing Your Mind with the Word of God.